for joining me on another episode of Next in Queue, the podcast about contact centers and customer experience. And I am delighted today to be joined by Nathan Baldwin, who is a district sales manager for NICE here in the St. Louis area. Welcome, Nathan. How are you? I am wonderful. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, before we get started, uh, we started this a little bit before we got the show going, but um, I wore this shirt just for you. And for, so for the people who can't see this, that are only listening to the audio, I've got my Rock Chalk Jayhawks shirt on. And Nathan, you proudly, I don't, I don't know why anyone's proud of that, but you proudly went to the University of Missouri I did. I did. And actually, upon seeing the shirt, the very first word out of my mouth was, oh, why do you got to do that? Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a fun thing. Uh, I love to hate the Tigers and I know that all the Tigers love to hate the Jayhawks. And uh, that's OK, because we can still be friends despite that. It's true. It's very true. <laughs> as, I, as I as I tell my son, he, he you know, he's only seven right now, but uh He's starting to ask about college and school and just because he doesn't quite understand it yet. And how many how many more years of school do I have to go? And I'm like, well, you know, you have through 12th grade and then and then you go to college if, if that's what you choose. And he's like, OK, where did you go? I tell, tell him the zoo and I go I and mean, I'll tell you what, I'll pay for any school you want to go to as long as it's not the University of Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> the hate is real. Uh, I have a couple of cousins. They're they're literally my age. I think they're both uh, they're twins. They're uh, a year younger than me, and they are huge Mizzou fans. And um, it's you know it's an ongoing thing. They love Mizzou, and I love KU, and we just we go at it, and it's fun. And we still I, love each other. At a previous employee, uh, two of two of the sales reps that I worked with. Uh, both had gone to KU and one she's probably now in her I would say late 50s um, but she was actually the the baby Jayhawk mascot when she was in college and so it, it was always fun so we'd always you know give each other crap back and forth and and have fun with it but yeah it, it was her little claim to fame I guess that is awesome uh, uh, having been in an inflatable unicorn suit lately um that's a difficult role to be in for hours at a time. I would imagine. <laughs> so speaking sure. of Mizzou, um, you studied uh, business finance and real estate, uh, which is certainly has nothing to do with what you're doing today. So you made <laughs> your way. <laughs> you made your way into this world, uh, having done some other things. So. Tell us about kind of what you got into right out of college. Originally, I went to college because I thought I wanted to do commercial real estate. And that's kind of where the the whole finance and, and real estate thing came into play. Uh, I didn't really ever want to sell houses, so to speak, but I just thought it would make 
a lot more fun selling like buildings um mm-hmm. or or being a part of that that side of the house and so it was interesting and then i kind of took a different route and went the finance side uh, i'd always liked you know financial transactions and the stock market and whatnot and so it was easier to do finance than it was to do marketing or management because everyone else did marketing and management. And I kind of wanted to set myself aside as a little different. And so that, that was just kind of how it naturally progressed. Unfortunately, I chose to go into personal finance after college and hitting up friends, family and their friends and family for insurance and stocks as a 22 year old professional was, uh, was one of the hardest things and, and best life lessons I've ever learned. Yeah, it really is uh, very difficult to get into that kind of sales right out of the gate. And I've known a a lot of people who have tried that. And hey, if you can make it, great. But it's really hard. Really hard. It was. It was very difficult. So I got out of that pretty quickly. (laughs) Yeah. You also had an interesting gig with with the st louis cardinals you want to tell us about that yeah so ever since i was a sophomore in high school and could drive uh me and my best friend who was best man at my wedding i was best man at his wedding is uh we've worked for the st louis cardinals and so during summer is a great summer gig as a high school student as a college student you know being able to uh you know go to go to the games watch the games and and actually get paid while you're at the games was kind of a great prospect. And so uh, my official title, believe it or not, and I still have my name tag that says party attendant. And I I literally will still wear that to just random parties I go to. Um, But basically the long and short of it was, is there are group party areas inside, you know, old Bush stadium and and now new Bush stadium that like uh, used to be power alley, Homer's landing, um, the batter's eye club, now it's like Bank of America Club, the Coca-Cola roof deck, the Coca-Cola patio. So those those type party areas that you can are the all-inclusive tickets. We would be the, I guess, worker bees that attended to to those areas to make sure that there was enough, you know, food and drink available for everyone. Yeah, certainly any job where you can go see the ball game for free is a pretty good gig even if yeah. you got to work during it's it. great you'd work six seven hours you'd watch about two and a half hours of baseball the rest you weren't really working and so it is a really good gig in college to have for sure especially yeah. in 04 I, I you know we went to the world series i i worked all those playoff games and that world series um and then the same for 06 when we won it it was it was awesome and now my father-in-law actually works there. I, I got him a job with my old boss, and he's retired now, nice. and so that's what he does. He just loves baseball, and he takes care of the press box. That's fantastic. What a great gig. I can only hope to do something that amazing when <laughs> I'm in retirement. Like That's as good as it yeah, gets. Exactly. Uh, so after you were in the the insurance and the personal finance gig, uh, you moved on to doing some publication sales, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. I, I got the opportunity to move back to Columbia and as as a post-college student and, and actually see how that town was from a professional side while still being young. And so it, it, small town USA was fantastic. And uh, 
went to work for a very small magazine, but it was kind of a lifestyle magazine. And so <clears throat> selling advertising, selling an ad space. And so it was uh, a very different thing than I had ever done before. Again, I wasn't a marketing major. I wasn't, you know, into that world or anything like that. But at the end of the day, sales was sales. And so yeah. it was kind of the same premise and, or principle, but just a little bit of a different product. And so I did that for a couple of years in Columbia and really enjoyed it. And then happened to met my now wife and she was living here in St. Louis where I'm from. And so I, it, it made sense that I you know, was going to move back eventually. Fortunately, there happened to be an opening at a very similar publication here in St. Louis called St. Louis Magazine. And so I, I after two years in Columbia, I made the switch. And, and um, even though they're different companies and, and different owners, they sell essentially the same product. And so it was a very easy transition into, you know, a bigger market with bigger opportunity than that was in Columbia, Missouri. So I, uh, I loved it. It was it was great. I did it for probably four more years there. Never had a dollar of salary to my name. I was always 100% commissioned and just rolled with it because I didn't know any better at the time. <laughs> right. You know, uh, we're going to talk more about kind of what you've gotten into since then, but I, I always think that sales is really the beginning of customer experience. Like that's often like the first, con you could say maybe marketing is the the true beginning, but the actual experience where you're interacting with the company is often when it comes to sales. Can you talk about uh, that a little bit and how that has translated long term for you into other roles that you've had? Sure. And I think you're absolutely right. Um, sales is customer experience in one way, shape, form or another, right? It's it's instead of, you know, typically what I sell now is for my customers to provide better experience for their customers it's kind of the inverse and so it's 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 what people think of my organization but it starts with me and so i i've always been or try to be as polite but as persistent as possible so i often have i don't want to say a problem or an issue but i tend to over communicate often so whether it's you know, following up, checking back in, just seeing what's going on, seeing how things are going. You know, that's kind of the first step of making sure people are doing okay for one and, and two, that things are going the way they should. Because if they're not and you're not following up, then you're going to get a nasty message saying, hey, we've got a problem or something broke. Or we noticed this was going south three weeks ago. Why why didn't you call us then or something like that? So, again, the key that I've always kind of lived by is just always be in front of it. I'll always be up front. I'll always be available and, and the rest can kind of take care of itself. Yeah, no, I think that is for anyone who's involved in sales. I think that's really important because I think a lot of salespeople, particularly when they're, when they're new in that, right. It's make the sale and move on. <laughs> and oh, that yeah. is not a great customer experience. No. And I think I was fortunate enough the way I, I kind of have, grown into this career or where I've gotten to today, all of the positions I've held prior to, to where I'm at today have, have been that hunter and farmer. So in the sales world, it's typically the hunter is the, the one who goes in, gets the sale, and like you said, moves on to the next. And, and their goal is to just close business. I, everywhere I've been so far, I've also been the account manager for that. So I would sell it 
and then I would manage the account for the entirety of you know my tenure or the the contract or, or whatever that that case was. Um, so there was also a reason to have ongoing revenue and and make sure that things were continuing to grow and get better. So that way, not only would I make more money, but the company would make more money. This is the first role I've been in where it's been straight up just you know you've seen the movie Crimson Tide or uh, or um, Hunter Killer, where they're talking about the Russian subs, or, or you know, it's called Hunter Killer, and it's the type yeah. of submarine there was, and, and that's how we're described as enterprise sales reps. Your goal is to go hunt, kill, move on, and go to the next. Thanks for playing. Go get the next one. And so I have zero account management uh, as part of my job description today, although I, I typically stick around for about a year to eighteen months after after the initial sale is made. Um, but as you know that you know i'm in the market i i'm i'm here i'm available if you need anything call me i'm here yeah for sure so let's talk about kind of your next big career phase which was moving from from magazines publications ad space to recursive labs which is in the in the SaaS market so how did you make that transition that seems like a really big jump into something new on on paper it 100 percent is um but when i actually look back at at why i made that decision or or the reason for it at the magazine towards the last couple of years that i was there we had started getting really heavy into digital sales so selling space on our website selling you know seo and some other items along you know those lines so i had kind of already taken it upon myself to, to become that like digital specialist, so to speak. And, and that's where I was really excelling at. And, and just because I was one of the younger team members on my team at the time as well, I understood it more. I got it. And so it just made sense at the time. And then secondly, I was kind of burnt out on ad sales. I've been doing it for about six or seven years to this point, And I wanted a new challenge. I was quite frankly, working probably 20, 25 hours a week and making a good, in, you know, good income. And I was, I was just bored. And so I had a couple of buddies doing medical equipment sales and they were just absolutely killing it, you know, but they were also inside the operating room at Barnes or at Mercy. And they, you know, were doing heavy trauma and they were telling doctors, Hey, put my screw right there. Nope. You missed the spot, move it. And, and they were literally telling doctors how to perform surgery. And these are guys that I would party with in college. Like it's ridiculous, but I don't really have the, I don't want to say that blood disgusts me or anything like that, but I don't, I don't want my career to be sitting in an OR telling a doctor what or how to do things like that just did not sound appetizing at all. But on the other front, I had some buddies in technology that were also making a whole lot of money as well. And I was like, I see these kind of two different career paths. And so I'm like, well, Technology is easy. I get that. Healthcare, I don't get that at all. So we're going to go this way. (laughs) Um, And at that exact moment, I had a recruiter reach out to me and say, hey, I got a startup I want you to meet. And I was like, no, no, thanks, but no thanks. And she's like, no, 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 they're great guys. I'm like, I'm sure they are, but no. Um, So she kept on me for probably two or three months to meet these guys. Um, And at the same time, uh, I had recently gotten married and been married a couple of years, and I had a newborn, my first, on on the way, literally to be born in roughly 60 days. And I go meet these guys, and at the time, the name of the company was called Click With Me Now, 
And if you think about the way the name changed to recursive, recursive is actually a, a type of um, coding that basically rewrites itself in, inside the code. And so what it was, it was a, a digital and video uh, co-browsing product that would be embedded or, or integrated into like a Salesforce or a Zendesk or something of that nature to where, for example, you and I, much like we're doing on this Teams via video, can actually co-browse a website. And so one of the great use cases I had was actually TD Ameritrade was a customer where their uh, customer service agents or or uh, wealth advisors would actually walk through a portfolio or walk through a trade uh, of some form with, for example, a rural customer that didn't want to go into a branch or didn't have a branch nearby to go into. So they kind of got, you know, blanketed by this this rule coverage team, so to speak. And so um, they were able to watch what was happening on the screen at the same time, making sure that they understood their portfolio clearly and 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 walk through it together versus just, you know, going through what at the time was an unsecure Zoom or an unsecure or unencrypted, you know, WebEx, right? And those had to be pre-scheduled, whereas ours can be spun up on the fly um, mm -hmm. as well as it was encrypted, so it was secure. And so those, we really lended ourselves to the, to the financial world so so it was it was a lot of fun it was a really great five years i started out as just being a rep and, and then i kind of dabbled in the in the management or leadership space for a little bit i was still an individual contributor but i was kind of that player coach where i was managing our sales team but i was also still actively selling um which also led me to believe that while management is unique and fun i uh i i prefer the individual contributor part you know at least at this phase of my career because i feel like i'm still in my yeah. high earning years so i can still go out there and earn what i can while i can and then if, if leadership is something i want to look forward to down the road i that's still an avenue that i could explore yeah absolutely i i remember one of uh one of my former peers and an early guest on the show we talked early on about in particular in sales organizations how that that leadership role for some salespeople, like they're just like, mm, I, this is what I like. This is the part that I like, the sales part. Let me do that. And it sounds like you're still uh, you're still in that. Like, let me let me go out and still do that part. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and the the converse to that a little bit too. And I see it at my my current organization is is with. So, you you know, you have your enterprise sales reps and then the next level up would be like an RVP, for example, that runs a team in a certain geographic region. And there's so many times that I see my current boss as as more of a and this is awful to say and I shouldn't say it, but as more of like a babysitter because it is all he's doing is babysitting us and our deals to make sure they get done. So he hits his number to make sure we hit our number. And it's just at, at some point you're just like, man, is that what I really want to do? And I'm like, eh, I kind of like selling more. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely a, a very different, it's a very different type of role and it's a different skill set. Um, there's, there's a lot of different things that go, you know, in another life, uh, I was in that type of role and it is, it's very different, right? You're just managing salespeople, not actually doing the sales and, and a lot of other stuff that goes along with that. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk about your current organization i think a lot of people who are in 
the contact center world, certainly the customer experience world have probably heard of NICE because uh, at this point, it's a, a behemoth, I think is a good word to use. You guys um, really do a lot of things for contact centers. Um, certainly one of your flagship products is called CX1. So that certainly speaks to um, how you try to position yourselves within the customer experience world. But you've been there for uh, the last, what, two and a half years or so, a little bit longer than that. Yeah. And that seems like a time period where there's been a lot of change and some incredible growth in this space. Can you talk to us about kind of what's happened while you've been there? It is wild. And it's it's so bizarre, even from when I started in July of, or I'm sorry, June of 19. You know, at, at the time we were slinging ACD, for lack of a better term. We were selling dial tone, you know, and, and in contact centers. Yeah. I can't tell you the last conversation I had with somebody that just wanted voice. It's It's been that long. And so everything in the market and the market has literally just changed in front of our eyes. And so the, the, the funny story is when I started, you know, we, we were technically nice in contact. Um, nice, our parent company based out of Tel Aviv acquired in contact based out of, you know, the Salt Lake city area in 2017, I believe. So the transition to become one was still very much enthralled you know, with, with change management and everything else in the background and back-end systems and administration, it was still very much two different companies. And which, yeah. by the name, Nice in Contact, was evident. And, and you know, Gartner and some of the other analysts out there hammered us for that because it was taking an old legacy premise organization of technology and then one that had been in the cloud for 15 years at that point already and then trying to combine the two. And it was oil and vinegar, oil and water. It did not mix <laughs> whatsoever. And, and even just the the mentalities of both organizations. And while you have Tel Aviv, which, you know, obviously is based in Israel with, you know, the, the Jewish and the Israeli mentality, as well as then you have Utah, which is obviously a very Mormon, heavily Mormon backed culture. And then those two cultures coming together were just substantially different. And, and it was a very unique time frame. I started in, night, in the middle of 2019, and this 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 wave of omni-channel and digital was really just kind of starting to come on strong. And so we'd already added workforce management into the platform, and we'd already added some analytics and some reporting into the platform. And we acquired Brand Embassy, which basically was an organization that had 30-plus digital channels, everything from like all the social media channels to like WhatsApp, Apple business chat, you know, all of these additional channels that you can literally jump from one channel to the next seamlessly without having to stop a conversation, open up a new channel and then lose all your reporting. So once that happened, things really kind of propelled. And so it, it really was a huge game changer from our standpoint because then we took the notion of okay it's instead of just acd we're doing digital first and and you don't have to have our acd if you want to buy our digital solution 
that's fine. If you want to route text, chats, emails, social media channels, cool. You don't have to have our ACD. And so that was that was when really people kind of just looked up and were like, ah, okay. Now we understand where we're going. And so it has. It's it's been a substantial shift, not just in in our organization, but in in the market as a whole. And I think a lot of the other different players and vendors are are doing similar styles of of deployment strategies as well. And then you kind of fast forward a couple of years to where we're now nice CX1 and and essentially CX1 is our platform. That is the product. That that is the the fully unified suite or solution that that an organization, you know, like customer di- uh, director or you know, customer XYZ can can purchase. And so what we determined was that it made sense from a unification standpoint and a branding standpoint that we're still nice, but we're now all nice CX1 because most of the nice enterprise products have now been converted to to the cloud as well as you know integrated directly into CX1 itself. So it it just made sense to kind of come out with a you know a, a new rebranding, so to speak. All of our legal stuff is still doing business as, but you know it, it's from a from a sure. legal standpoint. But actually, I have a trivia question for you. Oh, okay. I'm I'm game. Do you know what the acronym NICE stands for? Uh, you know what? I learned this recently, and now I don't recall. Uh, hold on. Oh, I'll give you man. a hint. Think back to the origination and location of the founding of the, the organization. Well, uh, so uh, Israeli or Israel is probably the I, uh, but I don't I don't have the rest of it. Go ahead, get, lay it on me. So middle 1900s, uh, you know, we'll call 50s, 60s, even early 70s. Um, you know, if you think about what nice, you know, enterprise or nice organization really specializes in, it's it's, you know, very robust workforce management, but more involved audio recording. That's that's what they're known for, or at least what they how they started. And so back, you know, during the Cold War era and some other other times around those, the the Mossad, the Israeli military, when diplomats and 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 leaders from other countries would either come to Tel Aviv or come to, you know, other places in, in Israel, they would be recorded or their conversations would be recorded for intelligence so nice was actually a military uh project or or operation so to speak that stood for neptune intelligence computer engineering Hmm. and then you know fascinating right kind of a really unique story um that you know was a, a military operation and and utilizing military equipment to then commercialize for normal life yeah, you know, that makes some sense, too, in that my first experience with NICE was from a quality management mm-hmm. standpoint, right? It was um, call recording and quality management platform. That was when I was first introduced to NICE as a company many years ago. Yeah, absolutely. So there are a lot of things 
that are changing in the CX space. Like it's really, really rapid. And obviously I think COVID uh, changed some adoption of, of certain things, but there are a lot of other things that um, you, you, your organization has their, their hands in and in, in trying to really do a, kind of an all in one. I was actually just working yesterday on a blog post and a uh, <laughs> there's a metric that i know very well nps and i was looking at some attribution on that and i've been familiar with nps for for years and years and years and all of a sudden i was like wait what what <laughs> so tell me about that and kind of how you guys are are working with MPS now because yeah. I had missed this and this is not new news. This is old news. It is old. Apparently news. I just missed it. So, so MPS obviously net promoter score uh, is, is a term that is widely known or, or common today, but 10 years ago, not the case. Um, and so it, it's actually just a mathematical equation to put a benchmark, so to speak on what people think of your organization. And and so it was actually co-created with a company called Satmetrics. And Nice acquired Satmetrics here probably I believe it was 2014 if I'm not mistaken. And so having, you know, uh, acquired an organization that literally invented net promoter score when it comes to customer experience is a massive value. So we roll that up typically and directly into a lot of different products. So for example, our quality management. So you get you, you know, you can train agents to to do the right thing or or have all of this information and education and process and this, that, and the other. But how do you know they're saying what they should be saying? Well, one, you do audio recording or screen recording and you can go back and, you know, verify that they they are staying on message and on track. But the t- second way to do that is Tying that into a product with sentiment analysis to make sure, okay, is the customer happy? Is the agent polite or is the customer upset? And then you get the brownie face, you know, sentiment analysis button. <laughs> uh, you know, but those are those are more kind of after the fact, so to speak. After the conversations happen, you can go back and diagnose. Well, the goal is to actually find a way to do that either on the fly or from the customer's perspective. And, and that's kind of that net promoter score, meaning are they going to recommend your business to someone else? Are they going to be your champion or promote you to someone else? And one way to know that is from feedback. And so everybody knows what a survey monkey is. Everybody knows, you know, if you've ever gotten the press one to take a survey at the end of this call, that's one version of feedback management, being able to have a complete 360 degree view of what happened in the conversation, how the conversation went, the sentiment of that conversation, and then what the customer actually felt or thought about that conversation, how they thought about your organization, were they treated properly? Did they enjoy it? Did they hate it? Would they promote you? Would they not? And then being able to take all that data that you just gathered and then to put one number on it, which is called NPS, is, is extremely powerful. Yeah, it's uh, 
you know, I I learned it um, long ago supporting a major telecom when they introduced that as a metric. And um, so I've been familiar with it for a long time, but I had no idea that uh, NICE had acquired SAT metrics until yesterday. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this is this is new to me. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious from your perspective, like you are certainly one talking to customers on the regular potential customers who who are trying to solve problems and two you're probably getting a little bit of early exposure to some things that are going on things that are being developed technologies that are being developed but you know i'm curious as you think about customer experience um, and, and even contact centers kind of in the 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 future and and I don't know how far we want to talk about maybe in the next few years because I think it's hard to get beyond that but what do you see as kind of some of the next emerging trends uh, coming out whether it's from a technology standpoint or the way that the maybe different problems that are going to emerge that we need to solve or what are your thoughts on those things? Yeah, I, I kind of alluded to, you know, or hinted at a couple of them earlier, but one way that that we've kind of really started looking from a, you know, a much higher macro perspective uh, as an organization is we actually made the decision here probably about, I'd say six months ago, uh, maybe, maybe just prior to that, maybe, maybe eight months ago, uh, we acquired three or four different companies within a very, very short amount of time. I'd say within about four weeks, we acquired three or four quite well-known and recognized companies like mind touch, go moxie, um, handful of others, but, uh, those are the first two that come to mind. And what we're trying to do is we're actually trying to recreate or reinvent the space as a whole. We're actually trying to create an entirely new category, according to you know Forrester, Gartner, and some of the other you know rating analysts out there. That you know typically it's just been CCAS, right? Contact center as a service, uh, or contact center software as a service. So, which is great, but there's so much more to it. And 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 as you mentioned earlier, COVID has really long or propelled us into having to do something like this because the way things are done today are not the same they were done two years ago it's just not the case and so what what that is and, and what we've done is we're really starting to expand on that and and call it you know ccast 1.0 was as i mentioned earlier our cloud-based acd you know put the acd the call distributor in the cloud have an ivr that you can access it from anywhere in the world you don't have to have a box in an office or a closet you know, crazy stuff, but that's 20 years old at this point. Yeah. You know, you, you propel a little bit forward and you go to CCAS 2, 2.0. And as I'm explaining this, you can kind of think if you've ever seen, you know, Everest, the the movie, uh, or or any, you know, mountain climbing, Mount Everest documentaries, you know, there, there are camps along the way. You can't just go up, climb, and come back down. You have to, you know, climatize yourself and, and you know, stop at all these camps. So you have base camp, one, two, three, four, summit. Well, that's kind of how we, we saw customer experience from from a vendor perspective and you know ccas 1.0 or camp one was the cloud acd camp two or 2.0 is where we added you know workforce management 
uh, we added some additional, um, you know, quality management recording pieces into there. So, so now it's starting to become a little more robust and, you know, not so segmented. Climb up a little higher and you have 3.0. And that's where we started adding, as I mentioned earlier, the brand embassy channels, um, starting to add some, some more digital stuff. So full omni-channel capabilities, full recording capabilities, full workforce management, and, and starting to add in some analytic and reporting capabilities and, and really started to make a full full on suite platform, not just a point solution anymore. And so adding a lot more of those um, ancillary products, I guess is the best way to put that. So then you get to camp four or 4.0 and that's where we've started adding in some of the ai some of the bots um you know some of the, the really crazy stuff like real-time interaction guidance um, real-time authentication um you know really a lot of this really powerful heavy stuff that can be added into the contact center but now are still under the same cx1 umbrella uh from a native ip standpoint not third party right so now is all we have left to go is the summit right and so from that standpoint, what we're trying to do is we're actually trying to create a new category called CXI, Customer Experience Interactions. So the way we see this and the way we see the world going is that every experience and interaction that you have with an organization is going to make or create your opinion of that organization, kind of going back to the MPS stuff. And mm -hmm. so the way we see it is where does that interaction nine times out of 10 take place? It's Google. So you're either researching a company, researching a product, or trying to find something that you're looking for. And what if you could influence that search right there at the top above the fold without necessarily needing or utilizing SEO or paying a whole bunch of money for um, Google ads or anything like that? Well, when we acquired MindTouch, you know, it's a, it's a knowledge management software company. What they are able to do is take your FAQs or some of your content on your website, whatever website that is, and put that up in the fold of Google because with all the crawlers and and, and spiders that, that Google's looking for content to access, I'll give you a prime example. Whirlpool Corporation has um, you know a lot of FAQ documents or, or manuals and warranties they put on their website for their appliances and so forth. Well, sure. Believe it or not, one of their highest call volume times of the year is Thanksgiving Day because people lock their ovens and they can't get them unlocked. <laughs> it's crazy. It's hilarious. It's true. Yeah. So what so what they did was they utilized MindTouch to actually take that article, put it right up there on 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 top of the screen. So when you look for it, it is the very first thing you see. And if you click it, it goes directly to the manual inside the web page. It I mean it's it's crazy awesome stuff. So then once you click that article and you figure out how to unlock your oven, let's say you're still experiencing some issues, now you dial the one eight hundred number. Well, that agent, because they have the system on on you know, integrated into 6.1, they know that you already looked at that article. They know you're calling in because it didn't work or you still need assistance. And so the amount of time and context saved is astronomical. And so it's it's little things like that that we're, we're really stating, okay, we're trying to gain that customer's experience at the doorstep, which is Google of all things, or Bing or Yahoo or whatever, um, from, from, basically minute zero or minute one of that experience, not minute 20 after they've spent 20 minutes of frustration or sat on hold or, or whatever that case may be. Yeah, you, 
it's interesting to me because I think part of what your the way the lens that you're looking at it is the same way that Google looks at it, which is context. It's all about context. I think Google has been really good at, and part of this is just the power of the data that they have on <laughs> most of us. They certainly have plenty on me because I'm in, in that ecosystem. But I also then know that, you know, when I search for things, Google has a, a pretty good understanding of my intent and maybe what I might need next. Mm -hmm. And so whether it's uh, a map that all of a sudden, like I've been looking at something and then I go to maps, like it, it kind of has an idea of like what I'm looking for and tries to present relevant information, not just information, which is yeah. what Google has done for years is like you do a search and then it just presents information to you. And I, I feel like they're getting better and better at presenting relevant information. And it sounds like that's where you see CX going is how do we provide more relevant information and get it to you faster? We do. Absolutely do. Oh, fascinating stuff. Well, I know that the the next few years are going to be really intriguing from a technology standpoint, because certainly the the last few years have been and it's it's only going to continue to accelerate. So. Yeah, um, it's uh, definitely kind of like the Wild West because it's it's something new every day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, Nathan, it has been a, a joy to talk to you, even if uh, I had to rib you a little bit about uh, Mizzou. But, you know, that's kind of how I roll. So, hey, that's fair. And, uh, and I expected <laughs> it. <laughs> well, thank you for joining me here on Next Thank You. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. It was great. Thanks so much for having me. Talk soon.